How is everybody? Good, good. Did everyone get to make it out to the uh, worship night Friday? Was everyone here for that? That was good. If you weren't here for that, <laughs> man, you missed it. It was really good. Uh, built a big stage in the middle, and everyone was crowded in here, and people were standing up on this stage looking out. It was really, really good. Kyle comes up with all these crazy, intricate ideas, and we plan for them for months, and we have a whole week to set it up not realizing that we had to tear it all down in one night, you know? So we were here till 2.30, I think, Friday, and uh, that's fun. And, um, and so I haven't had coffee in 40 days because of the fast, and I went Saturday afternoon to Starbucks, and um, <laughs> I didn't get like a, you know, bucket. I, I just got like a grande one, but I told them to make it black so I could take it and like doctor it up myself. <laughs> and I'm over at the little thing with the cream, and I'm holding it up to the light, and I'm going, because it's my first one in 40 days, right? And I'm just like making sure that the shade and the tone is perfect, and you know, I do my one pack of sweet and low, and I'm pouring it in there, and I'm mixing it, and I'm just kind of savoring it and stuff, and people thought I was probably a freak, but it was a glorious cup of coffee, man. I'll tell you what, it was, uh, it was pretty amazing, yeah. So anyways, we are taking a break from the Gospel of John today. We do this three times a year, and I'm really, really glad you're here because it's an extremely important lesson. Uh, three times a year, we do baptism lessons. This is our win, if you will. If you talk to us about the greatest achievements that we've had at this church in the last eight years, I mean, the growth has been phenomenal, and the community service has been phenomenal, and there's been a lot of great stuff, but the thing that I chalk up to the greatest success is our baptisms. It's, it's kind of the pinnacle of what the church does, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but this is very, very important to us. And so my goals are this today. One goal is, if you don't know much about baptism, you know it's getting in a you know, tank of water and that's all you know about it, my first goal is to show you from the Bible that baptism is extremely important, okay? That this is something that God looks very highly on, that it's something that we've been told to do, that, that it's a very, very important thing, okay? And so I'll jump through different scripture and hopefully show you that, okay? That's one of my points. My other point for today is this, is that if you have not been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as an infant, or maybe you were baptized when you were young and you didn't really understand the full weight of what you were doing, my second goal today is to hopefully gently but firmly uh, place some conviction on you to take this step. Um, we have clothes for you to change into. We have uh, towels for you. We have a whole series of lessons, our foundations class that we do that we can channel you into. We're not going to leave you hanging. We'll get your information. We'll stay in touch with you. We'll do everything we can to help you on this journey of growing closer to Christ, okay? And so my, my big goal today is to hopefully persuade you that if you have not taken this step, to take this step to do this, okay? So... Um, Again, thank you guys for being here. I'm gonna do my best to teach this lesson and break down this idea of baptism a little bit to you, and uh, we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? So let me pray. We'll get into this, and we'll see what happens. Father, Lord, we just wanna tell you thank you. Thank you, God, for the 60-plus people who've already been baptized this weekend so far, God, and thank you, Lord, for what you're gonna do in this service, Lord. We have no idea what to expect, God, but that's okay, Lord. You do. You know what's up. And so, Father, we just thank you. And uh, for, for, Lord, we thank you for all the other churches in our community, God. We pray for all the nonprofits in our community. We pray that your kingdom is advanced and that your name is made famous, God. Not our institutions, but yours, Lord, your kingdom, God. Lord, keep your hand on me as I teach this lesson today. Keep your hand on everyone in this room that may need to take this step, God. If there's any 
non-believers in this room, I just pray that something today activates something in them, God, and that they'll keep searching and looking. And if they do, God, uh, they'll find you. They'll find you. So Lord, we love you. And we lift you up and we praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if I'm gonna tell you about the importance of baptism, I first have to tell you what baptism is. Now, I changed a couple of things in my PowerPoint for those of you who've heard this lesson 35 times. So there's a couple of different slight variations, but the first one is not one of those, right? So what is baptism? Baptism is essentially our symbolic and public display that we've chosen Christ. That's basically what it is. The Bible says this is when we take on the new man, the new woman. This is where we're brought to life, the Bible says, kind of uh, uh, alluding to the fact that before our baptism, we're not spiritually alive. This is similar to a marriage ceremony. This is like our wedding to Jesus, if you will. And this is, uh, this is where we take on our husband's name. Now, the way I always think about this is it's kind of like a wedding ring. This is not my marriage to my wife. It's a representation of the fact that I'm married to my wife. Baptism is not your salvation. It's a representation of the fact that you've been saved. It's a public statement saying that God has saved you and changed you and touched your heart, okay? So, baptism essentially identifies us as Christians. It's the most evident part. It's the most visual. It's the most tangible way that we can show people that we've been adopted into the family of God. It should also be a turning point. This is important. When we give our life to Christ, when we've asked God to forgive us of our sins, we've decided to change the way we think and act, right? We make a turn in our life, okay? We go a different direction. That's good. Now, when we choose to make that public, baptism is essentially an accountability mechanism, it's saying to all these people, hold me accountable. So if we get baptized publicly, right, and people see that, our friends, our family, our, our church family, they see this, we're going to be held to a different standard. There should be another turning point in our life. And again, that's a good thing. We need to be held accountable. We need this change in our life, right? So that's what baptism helps us do. Paul said this, he said, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Get this, the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the grave is the same Holy Spirit that we accept when we get baptized. That's a big deal, right? The same power that, that resurrected our Savior is the same power that is now given to us by God. Big deal, okay? So again, one of my hopes today is that I wanna show you some evidence as to why baptism is important and why you should consider doing it. Let me get off, uh, let me get sidetracked here for a second. This is my friend, Mr. Morphus, right? Great guy. Let me tell you the story about him and I hope I don't embarrass here his family. The first time I met this gentleman, uh, we were contacted by his son, Jacob, who's a great young man. Jacob contacted our, our church and he got a hold of me and he said, hey, my dad's been an alcoholic for a really, really long time. The other night he, he got intoxicated, uh, passed out, and choked on his own vomit, and he's in a coma right now. And so I said, okay, well, where's he at? I'll come down there and we'll pray for him. And he's at Stonecrest, he said. And so I drove down to Stonecrest one, one afternoon, and uh, the first time I met uh, uh, Larry right here, the first time I met him, he's laying comatose in his bed, right? All these things hooked up to him, and he's not breathing on his own. And the doctors were basically telling Jacob, one of two things is gonna happen. Your dad's either not gonna pull out of this, or if he does pull out of it, he's gonna be a vegetable, right? He's not gonna be completely there. He's not gonna be ever what he was. So uh, Jacob and I laid hands on him, 
prayed for him, right? I remember a nurse came in and saw us, and you know, she kind of stopped, and we're sitting there praying for uh, Mr. Morphus in the hospital. And, and that was kind of the end of it. I didn't see him for a while. And one day I was preaching a message, and uh, this quiet older man walks up to the front, and he said, hey, Corey, I just wanted to tell you thank you. And I'm like, well, you know, for the lesson, or you know, what, what? I didn't recognize him. And he said, no, 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 when I was in a coma, you came to the hospital and prayed for me. And he says, I'm all better. So I was, I was comatose long enough to get sober, haven't had any alcohol since then, gave my life to Christ, my marriage is good, everything's good. He just said, thank you. And it was just amazing. Got to baptize him last year. So there you go, that's what I was waiting for. So one of the reasons why we should consider baptism is because Jesus Christ sets the example for this. We've been studying the Gospel of John, and when Jesus came, Jesus came to shake things up. Now, before Jesus came, the process by which people, people kind of proved their faith in God was a pretty arduous process. They'd have to kill an animal, they'd have to burn certain parts, pour blood over an altar, sacrifice, all these different things, go through this very rigorous kind of ritualistic thing. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he changed the process by which we were saved. And part of that was through baptism, something that hadn't been done before. So instead of pushing our sin forward a year, in the Old Testament, when they went through these rituals, they didn't remove the sin, they just shoved it forward a year. And so when Jesus came, died on the cross, all those that believe in him and obey him, our sin is permanently wiped away. Our repentance permanently cleanses that from our lives. And so we see this begin when Jesus approached John the Baptist. John was baptizing people like crazy in the Jordan River, right? Jesus cuts line because he can do that. He's God. He gets in front of everyone, gets into the Jordan River, walks up to John the Baptist, and he says, hey, I need you to baptize me. Imagine if the Savior of the world asked you to baptize him. Well, John basically said, I can't do that. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals, let alone baptize you. And this was Jesus's response. Very important. Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. This is what God wants out of us now. So John agreed and he baptized Jesus. And after Jesus's baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened up. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on Jesus. And then the people around heard a voice from heaven, and the voice from heaven said this, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The obedience of Jesus brought God great joy. So the interesting thing about Jesus's baptism is he didn't have to do it. He didn't have any sin that needed to be washed away. Jesus didn't get baptized because he had to, but Jesus got baptized to set the example for us. And here's a neat fact about Jesus. Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done first. He will not ask us to get into waters that he hasn't already gotten into himself. So we learn that he is the example, and we also read here that baptism brought God great joy. These are two very important things for us to remember. So we see that Jesus is the example, and we also learn that baptism activates something in the life of the Christian. Now, what do I mean by that? Our relationship with God is a process, which means we're constantly evolving closer to Christ, and Christ is setting us aside to use us for His purposes. The fancy word for that is sanctification. We're constantly being sanctified by God. And the choices that we make throughout this journey of Christianity 
Certain choices we make activate promises that God has for us. One of those promises is found in the book of Acts, and I'll read it to you here in a second. And the promise is this. God says that if we genuinely ask for forgiveness of our sins, we repent for our sins, and if we choose to get baptized, that the Holy Spirit will come on to us, fill us up, and empower us. That's a promise. If we do this, God will do this. There's something activated by our obedience. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, fun, fun fact, we're going to study this later on this year. I'm really looking forward to the book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, it's a nutty book of the Bible in a good way, right? When I say nutty, there's this one chapter that I read the other day where Peter would walk through the town, right? And they would lay all the sick people on the street because wherever Peter's shadow touched, it would heal people. That's nuts, right? We're going to study that stuff. It's amazing. So the, the craziness in the book of Acts starts right out of the gate, right in the first couple of chapters. And the scene of the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts is about 50 days after Jesus was crucified. Jesus had rose from the grave. He went and visited his disciples and his followers. And he said, look, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem, rent this loft, this upstairs apartment, and hang out until the Holy Spirit shows up. They didn't know what that looked like, but they were being obedient, right? So they go to Jerusalem, they rent this big apartment, 500 people are crammed in to this big room and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're praying, they're fasting, they're saying, God, what the heck, you know, what are we waiting on? And so they're just waiting. Now over time, it says that out of the 500, only 120 stayed. People got impatient and they left, right? They gave up. So out of that 120 that was left, they continued to pray. One day, it says the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind and filled everyone who was in the upper room. They started to speak in languages that they didn't know. They poured out onto the street. They're worshiping God. They're speaking in other tongues. And all these different people are going to work, right? They're doing their day. They're walking around and they're looking at their watches and they're saying, wow, the Christians are really getting on it. They're drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. Wow. And so they're wondering what's going on. And what Peter does is he jumps up on a ledge or a rock or whatever he does, and he looks at the crowd, and he says, no, 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 they're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. A long time ago, our prophets said that God would fill his people, pour out his spirit on his people. That's what's happening right now. He said Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again, and, and this is his spirit that he's pouring out on us. And the people believed Peter. Why? Because they saw people that should not be able to speak in foreign languages, speaking fluently and praising God in foreign languages that they shouldn't have known. So they believed. So what did they do? They looked at Peter and they said, Peter, what do we do? We believe you. Now what? Right? The great question. What must we do now? And this is what Jesus told him, or this is what Peter told him to do. Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is a promise. If you do this, God promises this. There is a promise for you, for your children, even for those that haven't even heard this yet, as many as the Lord our God will call, that if we honor Him, He promises to fill us with His Spirit. So with many other words, Peter testified. He basically told them all the things that Jesus had done. He strongly urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those that accepted the gospel, those that accepted the message about Jesus, what did they do? They got baptized. 
In that day, there were 3,000. If you go up a couple of chapters in the book of Acts, there was one day they baptized 5,000 people in one day. Amazing stuff. So here's what happens, guys. If you have asked God to forgive you of your sins and you publicly profess uh, your, your faith in Him through baptism, God will fill you with His Spirit. Now, when we are filled with His Spirit, God gives us gifts of His Spirit, different ones for different people at different times. And these aren't things we need to be afraid of. These are tools that God has given us to advance His kingdom and to grow our relationship with Him. So we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We just need to know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. So I, I encourage you, everyone in this room, Go back and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Beautiful chapters of the Bible. Go back and read and see what kind of gifting that God has in store for His, His, His children, okay? Another reason why we need to consider baptism is that Jesus simply instructs us to do this, okay? He simply tells us to do this. Now, here's our problem. Because we're in a fallen state, I'm talking about humanity, right? We're naturally rebellious, but when we become followers of Jesus, there has to come a time where we stop debating God and the Bible all the time and simply start doing what he tells us to do. Now, does that mean that I can explain everything in the Bible? I cannot explain everything in the Bible. But I know that it is imperative that I do what the Bible says. Can I understand it all? I don't. But I have to do what he tells me to do. And so in the Word, when you get to the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and he's giving his last bit of instruction to his followers. Now, this is very important. This is called the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. Very important. So we need to take note of this. This is what the church is supposed to do. This is the great command to the church, okay? This is what he tells us. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And he says, if you're worried about that, don't worry, I'm gonna be with you. What did he mean by that? He means that he is going to fill them with his spirit and wherever they go, Jesus will be with them. But we are clearly instructed by Christ to baptize people, make disciples, baptize them, continue to teach them. And then what Jesus follows that up with in the Gospel of John is he says, if you love me, You'll keep my commands. Do you guys remember when you became that parent, right? You swore you'd never be the one that says, because I told you so. I'm always going to have a rational answer for my children. And then you want your kids to do stuff and they don't listen to you. And then you just finally break down. You say, because I said so, I'm dad, right? Do it because I said so. And then you go, oh, I've become my parents, you know? <laughs> But here's what I think God does to us sometimes. We're so busy debating him that he looks down and says, I'm the dad, just do what I tell you to do. Trust me, be obedient to me, and I will honor you. Just do what I tell you. If you loved me, you just do what I told you to do. That's what Jesus says. Okay, so another reason why we should consider baptism, right, is baptism identifies us with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're in here right now and you've never been baptized, probably the neatest thing about baptism is baptism symbolizes the fact that we have a clean slate. That doesn't mean that we won't have problems out there. That doesn't mean that there aren't bridges that we need to build back or maybe some mistakes that we need to correct with other people that we may have hurt or whatever. But when it comes to the Lord, we have a completely clean slate. Baptism symbolizes us. Look at the symbolism. It symbolizes us dying to ourselves. And then when that person comes up, it symbolizes the resurrection, a new person coming up. We will still have temptations, 
We will still have struggles, but from that moment on, the Bible says we are no longer labeled as our former selves, that we are free from sin's claims. We are not what we used to be. If I could tell you the stories in this room of people who mark their day of baptism as the definitive turning point in their life, there are so many of those. Paul says this, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too too now walk in a new way of life, that we we walk differently, that we have a different mindset, that we have, again, the Holy Spirit of God with us, empowering us to live in a different way. Paul goes on to say this, For if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, right, we're also joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified. I love that. So we don't have to go back to what we used to be. We have a fresh start. We've hit a reset button with God. The old self was crucified, so sin's dominion over the body is abolished. We're no longer enslaved to sin anymore. We now have the power and the ability from God to overcome those things, to live a different lifestyle. I like this picture a lot. This is Megan. She's in my small group, right? I got to baptize her last February, and now I see her all the time baptizing people. And this is her buddy, Justin, that uh, got baptized recently as well. Great picture. So when we baptize people, we pray Jesus's name over people. Now, why is that important? Let me talk about this for a second. I came from a denomination, and and I I very strongly disagree with this, where they believe, regardless of what the state of the person's heart is getting into the baptismal tank, they think that if the person baptizing doesn't say the exact right words, that that baptism means nothing. I don't agree with that. There's no magical formula. Listen, when Paul wrote that no one can snatch you out of God's hand, no person can steal your salvation by what they say, okay? That's crazy, right? No one can do that. The words spoken over someone getting baptized are not nearly as important as the genuineness of the person's heart getting into that water. Now, after saying all that, though, let me also say this. We do our best to make sure, though, that we pray Jesus' name over you, not because it's dependent on my words, but I want you to know, last thing before you get under that water, I want you to know who you identify with. I want you to know whose name you are taking on. You are taking on the name of Jesus Christ. Let me get off on a tangent here for a second. In your life, not just with baptism, but with everything in your life, if you can't find the eloquent words when you're praying, if you're in a situation and you can't quote the whole book of Isaiah or come up with some kind of fancy way of praying, if you baptize someone here today and you don't know what to say, let me tell you this, if you will just say the name of Jesus, that name holds all weight. That holds all weight. I remember when I first became a Christian, my wife and I were separated and I was so depressed. And I called my mother and I said, mom, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And my mom said, just say the name of Jesus over and over again until you feel the peace of God on you. And I remember nights laying there just saying, Jesus, Jesus, and God would come, right? Because at that name, if we are genuine, that's why we don't use that name in vain, because that name is powerful. It's important. It invokes God's spirit to start moving. So we want to pray that name over you when you get baptized. Listen to this scripture. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. This is so important and so pertinent to our culture. There is no Jew or Greek, American or immigrant. There is no slave or free. There is no socioeconomic status. There is no male or female or transgendered or whatever kind of identity we find in that. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We live in a culture now that tries to find their identity in absolutely everything except for the creator. And so we put our our identity in our gender, we put our identity in our skin color, we put our identity in our country and in borders, and we put our identity in our occupation and our status at work or whatever the case may be. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not where your value is found. Your value is found in Christ. So when we pray for you, we pray for you in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the identity you're taking on. And if that is your identity, everything else is gonna fall in place. Everything is gonna, Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will work out for you. Make sure your identity is first in him, okay? Wow, that was like a little mini sermon right there. We were talking about baptism, right? Okay. The last question is this, do we have to do it? Now, I used to tell you a huge story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch from, I think it's Acts chapter 8. Great story, right, about baptism. You should go back and read that. Fantastic story, right? I'm not going to tell you that story today. Uh, Josh and I have been thinking a lot, what does one do? What does the Bible tell us to do when we hear the gospel? If someone walked up to you for the first time today, or maybe today is the first time you've ever heard the gospel, and someone walks up and says, Jesus Christ died for your sins, he loves you, right? If you've heard that for the first time, Josh and I have been just doing a lot of searching, a lot of digging, a lot of studying, a lot of reading. What is the proper response to that? You know, some churches say, you know, if if you've responded, raise your hand and we'll fill out these forms and we'll send them to headquarters, whatever headquarters is. And we'll, you know, that's how we'll tally, you know. And some churches say, well, if we can get you to act in these certain gifts of the Spirit, then we, okay, that's how you respond to the gospel. And well, if you've responded to the gospel, there's these other things that, that, that people try to tell you you need to do. And so we went to the Bible and we just studied like crazy, right? What does God what our, want our response to be to his son? Now, we didn't come up with anything groundbreaking, right? Here's what we came up with. After we have accepted that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, our first step must be repentance. Listen, I'm not saying like you just say, oh, God, I'm, man, I'm sorry that I've been cheating on my wife so long. God, I'm sorry I've been looking at porn. God, I'm sorry I've been sleeping with my girlfriend. God, I'm sorry that I've been doing, you know, these drugs or getting drunk. I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. I'm talking about a repentance where we have a true heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God. We don't teach repentance much anymore. You know why? No one wants to own up to the fact that we have fallen short. But we need to repent. It needs to hurt us, break our hearts that we have upset our creator, that we have acted in rebellion to him. So when we understand that we have not been what God has called us to be, there should be a pretty deep pain about that, a sorrow that says, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. There must also be a desire to change. A true repentant heart is not someone who says, God, I'm sorry I looked at porn again, and then the next night the laptop is open and no steps have been taken, right? 
You have to have a desire to change. People come into my office all the time and I want them to come in and I love that they come in, but they come in and they say, hey, Corey, I'm struggling with this you know, alcohol abuse or drug abuse and you know, I have these girls nights all the time and we go to the bars and my husband's at home and I'm getting wasted and like, I don't wanna do these things and, and so you know, I, just, I need something different to happen. And I say, okay, well, we gotta stop going to the bars. You can't go to those places anymore. Maybe you need to find some friends here at the church versus these women who are taking you and putting you in a compromising position you know, when you're married and, and all this stuff. And, and then they'll say something like, but we like our girls' nights. Good luck. Good luck with that. If there's no desire to change, you're always gonna end up at the same destination you've always reached before until there's a desire for us to want to do something differently. We're never gonna see anything different in our life. People come into my office and they're in financial ruins. They make good money, most of them. It's not that people don't make enough money, but we spend so much more than we make. And so people come in, they're just like, man, I'm making $85,000 a year and I'm broke all the time. Well, let's look, well, you drive a $60,000 car. I don't have anything against a $60,000 car if you can afford it, but they'll say they have a $60,000 car and they have $50,000 of debt. And it's simple to me, sell the $60,000 car, buy a $10,000 car, which is still nicer than any car I've ever owned, buy a $10,000 car, pay off your debt and be free of that. You know what they'll say? But we like the car. I guess you like the oppression too. I guess you like being a slave to the lender too. But I wanna be free of that. And until we want to walk a different direction, that's what repentance means by the way, until we want to walk a different direction, we're always gonna get the same results. We must deny ourselves in exchange for obeying God. That's the first response. That's the first response when we accept that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. We must repent, we must walk a different way. The second thing we must do is have faith in Christ. Well, wait a second, Corey, I've already had faith, that's why I repented, no, no. I'm not talking that I believe that Jesus is up there, right? Hanging out on a cloud, turning a blind eye to all my sin. I'm talking about a faith in Christ, a saving faith that is a personal trust that is active every single day, that every single day we wake up and say, God, without you, I'm nothing. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have the breath in my lungs. I'm completely surrendered and dependent on you. That's a saving faith, that I need God to direct every single step I take. That's a saving faith, a complete surrender to him. And the third response is after we've repented, after we've put our complete trust in Christ, the Bible over and over and over again says the outward expression of that to our brothers and sisters in Christ, our outward expression of the inward grace that's happened to us is baptism. And so what we need to do, if we haven't done these things, if we haven't moved through this process, what we need to do is we need to check our hearts. If one understands the weight of sin, guys, you understand that if we continue to walk the way we walk, it's no wonder that our families are falling apart. It's no wonder that we're drowning in depression and anxiety and fear. It's no wonder that, that financial institutions are falling apart and, and all these things are coming to, a, to, to wreckage. It's no wonder there's this weight of sin. But when we start to understand that God wants to liberate us from that weight, that God wants to forgive us and give us a clean slate and take that burden from us, the Bible says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, that he can remove that from you. And when we start to understand that God is looking out for our best interests and we're not owed anything, listen, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And when we start to understand that God wants us, he doesn't need me, but he wants me. 
We approach God with humility and we approach God with a heart that wants to obey him. But when we start thinking that we're owed something, when we start thinking that God owes me something, we approach him in an improper way. But if we know that he doesn't need us, but he wants us, we approach him with humility and obedience. But when we start asking ourselves, how little do we have to do? If we want to go to heaven only to escape hell, there's a problem. If you come up to me and ask, hey, listen, I'm married and I don't want to get divorced. What's the bare minimum I need to do so I won't get divorced? Do I have to take my wife out on dates? Do we have to be intimate? Do we have to have conversation? Listen, if you're asking me if you have to do things for your spouse, there is a deeper heart issue. And rules and legalism and laws will not fix your marriage because there's something cancerous in your heart. So when we start asking questions to God, how little can I do to get away with it? How little can I do to squeak my way into heaven? Whenever our questions are centered around what do I have to do, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. Maybe we haven't repented. Maybe we haven't put our complete faith and trust in him. Maybe we don't love him as much as we say we do. But when we start to understand his sacrifice, I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out. I know it's a movie, right? I know it's just a movie. But even as horrific as that movie was, you guys remember the backlash from that, right? The same people in Hollywood who make The Walking Dead were saying that, you know, The Passion of the Christ was too gory, right? When you watch The Passion of the Christ, it's horrific. It's brutal. Apart when he's chained up and they're whipping him with the cat of nine tails and they're pulling whole chunks of flesh off his body where his ribs are exposed, right? If you remember that part, it's grotesque, it's rough. And so we watch that though, and that's Hollywood. Imagine being in the presence and seeing a real person get torn to shreds like that, right? Literally every drop of blood falling out of him. Imagine seeing a human being get nailed to a piece of wood and hanging there for nine hours, nine hours, gasping for breath. Do you know how one dies on the cross? By asphyxiation, they suffocate. Every time he'd have to take a breath, he'd have to shove his way up, this, his just shredded back against that raw wood. He'd shove himself up just so he could get a piece of breath. And then he'd have to go back down and struggle. <laughs> and I have to make a video to get people to show up on baptism weekend. If we could just understand a fraction of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I, if we could just understand a fraction, we wouldn't be asking, do I have to? We'd be saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, I owe you everything, everything, everything. Now listen. I don't want you to get baptized because I'm emotionally manipulating you. I don't want you to get baptized out of guilt or fear. That's not it. But listen, if you love Jesus Christ and if you have just a, a smidgen of understanding of what the cross means and you have not been baptized to publicly state to everyone around you that you are marked by Jesus Christ, if you have not done that, I simply ask you, why? Why not? Why not?
So this is my challenge. If you are in here, if you are in here and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you came here looking for the truth, here's all I ask of you. If you're a non-believer looking for the truth, my only thing I ask, keep looking. Keep searching. Keep digging. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, those who seek, find. You'll find it. You keep looking for the answers and the answers are going to come. I know what the answer is. You'll know it too. Jesus will show up in your life. If you are in here and you are a Christian and there is sin in your heart that you have not addressed, is there, if there are things that you have not repented for, maybe you've asked God to forgive you, but you have not taken any steps to change your course of action. I want to just gently but firmly put some conviction on you and tell you you need to bring those things to Christ. You need to bring those things to Christ. Ask Him to forgive you and then find some help, some accountability, someone to hold your feet to the fire so you can walk a different direction, right? That's why we have the church, for accountability, for brotherhood, for sisterhood. That's why we do this. And if you have not been baptized, if you have not been baptized, I just want, I, I, I just want, I just want to encourage you. Listen, guys, I've never baptized anyone and brought them up and they're like, man, that sucked. I've never done that. The thousands and thousands of people we've baptized here over the years, literally thousands and thousands, the look on their face, the joy that God gives them. Why? Not because the waters are magical, but because God honors those who are obedient to Him. And if you are obedient to Him, God will honor you too. He will honor you too, okay? So listen, right over here, there's a team of people. They have clothes. They have towels. I told you we're not going to leave you hanging. We'll get your information. We'll plug you into the foundations class. We'll, 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 keep, we'll keep in touch. We will not leave you hanging. But you can come over here, and they'll set you up, okay? There's communion all the way around you. You need to repent for your sins before you take communion. That's what the Bible says, right? So there's communion all the way around you. You can take communion Please be respectful of others. We'll put the baptisms on all the screens so you can see what we're doing here on all the screens so you'll be able to see that. But listen, take a moment and see if this is what God wants you to do, okay? All right? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you and I praise you, God. Lord, for everyone in this room that's not a believer, I just pray, God, that you encourage them to keep looking for the truth. Let them keep digging, Lord. Let them keep exploring, God, and they'll find you. Lord, for everyone in this room who does believe, but maybe they don't have a saving faith, a dependent faith, maybe they haven't repented of their sins by turning from those actions, God, touch their hearts and give them strength. Encourage them and speak to them and lead them, God. And Lord, for anyone in this room that was maybe baptized as an infant or maybe they were too young to remember or maybe they've never been baptized, God, touch their hearts and encourage them, Lord, to find uh, someone over here to my left and get signed up for baptism and let's do this, God. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you and we lift you up and it's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys to death. You guys are welcome to help yourself. People over here waiting on you.